1: Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Zach Holt. Uh, Zach has come from some fairly dark places, and yet he's bringing light into those very places. He leads a ministry called The Table. Uh, an Interesting thing, setting a table for those who need it most with the way that I would describe it. So, Zach, I just want to say welcome, and uh, we want to I want to hear your story.
0: Well, man, I'm uh, really humbled uh, to, to be joining you and, and always welcome an opportunity, not just to share the story of the table and how we landed where we are, uh, but man, just to point to Jesus and, and what he has done in my life is uh, nothing short of, of remarkable. You know, when, uh, when, when Paul writes to Timothy uh, in, in the first chapter there, and he says uh, that he is the chief of sinners, the very worst of sinners. Uh, Right. But for that very reason, he was shown mercy so that in him, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And when I look back and I reflect uh, at the darkness in which I once walked, uh, the lostness that was that was normal for me, uh, man, he continued to show me grace and mercy, love, peace, protection and provision. So now on the other side of it, when I have opportunities to, to share my story, uh people are amazed not at the depths that I sunk to, but the heights to which Jesus has lifted me. Uh, You know, I, I started off, I guess I could share a little bit of, of my personal background and my Jesus story. Uh, I grew up in a, a regular household and uh, I had... Uh, you know I had a, a dad and a mom that were that were there, and we had household of peace and and I grew up on on the fringes, I would say of the church and and we went occasionally and when I was fifteen uh, at at the same time that I was baptized, I also uh, because I think really what I was looking for is I was looking for community I was looking for a a place where I felt like I belonged and where I fit in. Um, And so I was searching for that, both in the church and on the streets. And so at the same time that I experienced this kind of sense that God was moving and acting in my life, uh, I also uh, began to explore opportunities to to indulge in uh, chemical use. And uh, so I began right about the same time that I was baptized, I I began uh, smoking marijuana, um, which quickly opened the door to other illicit narcotics uh, and, it, and it became for me uh, this dance between uh, pursuing God and, and going to church on Sundays. And yet the piece that was missing was uh, obedience. Uh, you know, and that is the word that has been, I'll, I'll continue through my story, but over the past six years uh, of being clean and truly living in obedience to the Holy Spirit, uh, that piece was missing for a long time. And, and I couldn't figure out why I would look around and I would hear stories of these great and amazing things that people were doing in the faith. Uh, but I, I wasn't experiencing that. Well, it was because uh, I was double-minded. I, I was thinking, you know, that, that I was a, a generally a good person and, uh, that I, you know, uh, went to church on Sundays and that somehow that arrangement, um, Uh, satisfied the the responsibility of Matthew 633, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. And and I thought that that meant just go to church on Sundays, uh, and everything will be added to you. You know, you just have to show up once a week. And, and how foolish and misled I was for for so long. Um, So I kind of lived in this space, this back and forth space for for a really long time, uh, until I I graduated from college. uh, And it was May 22nd of 2007. I was doing some rock climbing, And I I fell about 40 feet um, straight down the front of the rock face. I I landed and I I broke both of my legs. Um, I had what they call a burst fracture to the T12 vertebrae, where uh, the pressure from the impact literally caused the vertebrae to to explode and send this bone shrapnel into my spinal cord. Uh, And I was in this this unimaginable pain that I had never experienced before. Well, they pulled me out of the woods. They got me into the ER. um, and, you know, amidst all of the chaos of the machines uh, and the hustle of the nurses, uh, I can still remember with great clarity the moment um, that the had hit my system for the first time, that that, that IV pain medication hit my system. Uh, and that was the moment where I thought that I had found what I'd been looking for all of my life, that in an instant, I thought that I had discovered the way that God intended for me to feel. Um, So from that point forward, of course, this was at the height of the opioid epidemic. And and so uh, opiate medications were were readily available. Um, And the thing we say in recovery is that one is too many and a thousand is never enough. So uh, I began this relentless pursuit um, of more and more and more and more. Uh, There is another layer to this story because I know that God uh, God is the one they told the doctor said, look, man, you're, you're never going to walk again. Uh, you're definitely never going to be in the gym. You know, you're probably going to be in a wheelchair the rest of your life. Well, uh, God proved the doctors wrong. And, and, and out of that healing, that incredible work, um, I felt this stirring and this longing um, that God spared me and saved me for a reason. And uh, in response to that, I began pursuing uh, options to go to seminary uh, and, to, and to want to serve the Lord vocationally. Um, however, again, I was walking in self-will. You know, I, I tell my guys that I pour into that the opposite of obedience is not disobedience. The opposite of obedience is self-will, and so I, I wanted it my way. I wanted to pursue faith on my terms. I even wanted to be a minister on my own terms, and so uh, I enrolled in seminary down in Atlanta. Uh, I moved down there with with my young daughter, uh, whom I had custody of, and. Uh, and and things went great for, for about a year. Um, uh, when I say great for an addict, that means that I was I was showing up and I was functioning. Um, but something shifted after about a year down there, and it was the moment where God said, "You shall not pass." It was the moment where uh, retribution finally caught up to me. I was trying to do ministry outside of a gas station, and uh, a young man that, that I felt led to pour into and invest in uh, had a, a crack cocaine issue, and and it. Uh, man, it, it sucked me in, and, and I, I spiraled uh, out of control. And, and when I bottomed out, and I had to leave seminary, um, I thought, you know, I, I imagined the story of Saul, um, after he had been disobedient to the Lord, and, and he suffered this demonic oppression that was unrelenting. Uh, and I thought that was my fate. Uh, well, again, God is, is gracious and patient. Uh, infinitely patient with me. And so as I began to pick up the pieces, um, and and yet still hanging on to the narcotics, still hanging on to the prescription medications, and I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm not abusing illicit street drugs, I'm just taking the medications prescribed by me. Uh, and, and so that everything but and it, and it led me back to seminary a second time. Um, and, uh, we talk in recovery a lot about Einstein's definition of insanity is repeating the same behavior over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, uh, you probably know how the story goes the second time around, uh, the same thing happened again. And, uh, and this time I had, I'd strayed into IV drug use. Um, and I tell you, Ralph, the, the things that I thought that I would never do, you know those things like steal from my grandmother. Those things that lie to my mom. You know steal from my neighbors. Uh, you know all all those I will never. Uh, one by one, uh, you know I I began to break those those rules. Uh, I had uh, I knew no stopping point. Moderation was as foreign a word to me um, as obedience, right? And and so I continue to walk in in this darkness, and and I. Uh, was falling and falling and falling in this trajectory. You know, there's a point in Romans chapter one, uh, where Paul says three times that God gave them over. uh, And I was experiencing the permissive wrath of God. Conviction was no longer something that I experienced. I think there is a point uh, at our walk in disobedience and walking in darkness and lostness that uh, the father just takes, takes his hands and he just, he lets, lets us go. And so um I, I went through treatment uh, I've had eight times and experienced a, a great deal of consequences legal, sociological uh, financial emotional uh, I was I was homeless I was in and out of jail uh, I had several occasions which required the use of the administration of narcan which is the way we bring back an individual who's had an, an opiate overdose uh, and and none of this seemed to be working and and we I had no idea, you know, you see it in the end um, when, when you're, you're looking at your drug of choice and you know that there is a good chance that that it's going to kill you and you are still willing to load it up and put it in your body. Um, I had accepted a death sentence. I knew that eventually one of those rounds w- was going to kill me. And there was a part of me that had resigned to accept that fate and man, what a sad place to be held in such oppression. Uh, and so, uh, I violated my probation um, and I, I went in and uh, they denied my bond because they thought I was a flight risk. And so I sat uh, and this was the first time that I had, you know, called my parents and called my friends to, to help, you know, put some money on my books and help support me in, in jail. And, and they all hung up on me. They said, you have to figure this out. You know, we love you. And then click. <laughs> uh, so on the on the on the 40th day, uh, to the day, 40th day of me sitting in there without bond, uh, I had my jaw broken uh, by a gentleman named Larry Whitaker. Uh, he thought I'd taken a honey bun from under his mat and uh, he, was, he was very angry and he hit me out of nowhere uh, and broke my jaw. That in my story is my road to Damascus moment. That was the moment when my eyes finally opened in a way that eight times in treatment didn't do uh, repeated offenses and time in jail didn't do. Overdoses didn't do it. Homelessness didn't do it. You know, there was a, a time in my story when I was I was walking down the street and everything I had was in a black trash bag. Um, and and I see my mom and my daughter. And so they pass by, uh, they drive by me and they look over uh, and they see it's me, but then they look forward and they, and they just keep on going. Uh, and that is a sad place to be. And, and even that, couldn't jar me loose, but something in that punch from him, uh, it sent me to my knees and the Lord revealed to me uh, in an instant, the wake of tears and violence and destruction. I saw all of it in an instant. You know, growing up, I, I always, my, my, my mom will tell you that when I was three years old, I told her I wanted to be a baseball player and a preacher. And so there was a, a little bit inside of me uh, that felt like, you know, one day God is going to use me. And so I loved verses like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where he says, I know the plans I have for you to pledge the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope in the future. But I think that Jeremiah 29, 11 is contingent on effective work in verses 12 and 13, where he says, then you will, you will come and you will pray to me, and then I will listen to you, and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And I think that was the failure. That was the breakdown in my story because so much of my heart was devoted to seeking narcotics and seeking women and seeking money, uh, and, and seeking self. Right? I wasn't about seeking first the kingdom. I was seeking self. And so uh, I was operating in this false dichotomy in which I was pursuing the things that were putting me at enmity with the God who I claimed to serve. And so in that moment, when I had that <clears throat> that transformative moment of clarity. Uh, you know, I had been baptized 15 years before, but I don't, I would had my, I'll say I had my water baptism, but I don't think that I was uh, baptized in fire, baptized in the spirit uh, until that moment in the jail cell, when I repented in a way that I had never done before in my entire life with, with honesty and with my entire heart, I said, uh, Lord, my life is uh, is a, a train wreck that has been had a bomb dropped on it. Like it is beyond recognition. It is beyond repair. And Lord, I need you to move in my life. I, I've got to have you as the deer pants for the water. Right. I had that desperation. And so for three days, I was refused medical treatment and uh, my jaw was swollen out. It looked like a, a chipmunk and and I couldn't eat. Uh, and I couldn't sleep, so for three days I, I fasted, and I prayed, and I cried, and I pleaded to the Lord that he would open a door. Uh, well, on the morning of the third day, uh, that door opened for me, and a representative came in from a, a local organization called Drug Court, Washington County Drug Court. Um, and they said, look, this is uh, an opportunity that we want to extend to you. We want to offer you this uh, get-out-of-jail-today card. And they said, you can, you can leave today. You can walk today. Um, but if you don't make it through the program, you know your your ten years that you're looking at that that will come that will come back on you, and you'll have to do that time. And it reminded me of Isaiah chapter one verse nineteen, where he says, "If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you resist and you rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword." And so I was at this fork in the road, Ralph, where I had to decide who will I serve. Uh, you know Elijah when he's confronting the the idolatry on Mount Carmel. Um, He said, how long will you waver between two idols? Right. How long will you waver between two opinions? If Yahweh is your God, serve him. But if Baal is your God, serve him. So from that wholehearted decision uh, that, Lord, I should have been dead. I should have been homeless. I should have been under the jail. But you've given breath to me. You've given me a new heart and a new spirit. And I want to live vigorously for the growth of your kingdom in any way that I can help you, whatever I've got to do. And another thing about the end of of my sentence there is I left jail on the morning of the third day after having my jaw broken, and the first thing I did when I got out was I had to have my wire, my jaws wired shut um, so for 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 three months uh they were they were wired and i couldn 't talk uh, and that was a good thing because for the first time in my mouth, uh, I shut my mouth and i I listened to others, right? I, I listened to the input of pastors and teachers and men who were walking in obedience with the Lord. And I just soaked it up and I absorbed it. Um, and when uh, my jaw was unwired, the first thing I spoke of was, was, was Jesus and, and what he was doing in my heart, what he was doing in my life. Uh, and the growth that I experienced after that, as, as I pour myself into recovery and fitness, uh, those kind of those two and, and, and following Jesus with my whole heart, seeking after him every morning, every day, every night, reading scripture over and over and over again, uh, starting a, a stack of memory verses that I added one every single week throughout my recovery. And, um, and so after about 18 months, uh, I kind of leveled off in in my recovery and I sort of felt like i hit this sticking point, this plateau. Um, well, the Lord led uh, two individuals to me. Uh, one was named Pat and the other's name was Susan. Uh, these were the first two people that, that the Lord enabled me to, to lead to the Lord um, and to baptize. Both of these individuals were far from God. Uh, I did not meet them in church. I met one of them at uh, a Bible study at a micro church that I started at a nursing home. Um, Susan was uh, an enemy of God her whole life. She was 75. She had multiple strokes, but something in the presentation of the gospel uh, she, she, she glued to it. She clipped with it. And, and I still remember, uh, baptizing her. I had to lift her out of her wheelchair because of her stroke. She couldn't walk. And so, uh, lovingly I, I carried her. She weighed 80 pounds and I carried her down into the water and I took her down. And when she came up out of the water, I was like, this is, this is what I'm here to do. This is it. And, and when I got a taste for disciple making, Um, it catalyzed a whole new level of my spiritual path that I didn't even know was attainable, right? That I didn't even, I had no idea. You know, it says he's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And something in that moment of baptizing this beautiful woman who had been far from God her whole life and participating in her redemption uh, made it awakened something in me that I didn't know I had and, and a very similar story with with a man named Pat that I met through um, a recovery group um, and so that's pretty pretty typical of the, the kinds of people that I continue to be able to connect with were not folks that were within the church um, but slowly and surely as I began to step out into more uh, rhythms, Outside the walls of the church, so places like recovery groups. I began to do some jail ministry, uh, began to do some things at you know halfway houses, and and soon the door opened. Uh, the big one was for me to come to the city of Bristol as a missionary uh, and plant a church that was led by addicts, intending to reach addicts, and so that was in partnership with a, a recovery center uh, that I that we helped to open down in the city of Bristol.
1: Before you get into that, I want to ask you, because you just described to me what you begin to experience and understand when you begin to understand disciple-making. Did Hmm. anyone ever attempt to disciple you when you were going through the dark times? Because that seems to be a Hmm. missing element in a lot of people's lives. It's... It's the thing that Jesus told us to do. It's the thing that the church tends to fail to do, and so you got people out there struggling, trying to love Jesus, but they're kind of doing it on their own. They don't have anybody to hold their hand.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is um, that that is quite quite true. Because I the the truth is is that when I was truly walking in darkness, um, I mean I I wasn't. I wasn't a regular attender, you know, when I had a needle in my arm, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to church, of you course. know, I was but, walking but around, in, you know,
1: in the high moments, in the, in the, in the better moments, were there people who uh, intentionally begin to interfere in your life in a positive way They they begin to, to mentor and disciple you the way that you're doing to others now? What was that there? or Was that missing? And, and, and why?
0: Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's a great question. Um, no, it it was it wasn't there. Um, I, I think part of that I, I will take some some responsibility on that. Part of that, in order to be discipled well, the person has to be um, receptive and and recognize the the need to be discipled. Okay. When I was at the height, uh, the height of both my darkness and my blindness, um, because the darker. Uh, things became in my life the more blind I was to how dark things had became in my life um, and so I wasn't super receptive to someone stepping into the rhythms of my brokenness because so much of my effort was invested while I was involved with the church and using um, so much of my energy was invested in keeping it a secret that in order to to allow someone into that space uh, might might expose me or uh, you know that so i was resistant and i had a wall that was up that prevented from that um now that's that is one thing that was that was out um however now that we've um kind of created uh, a really safe space and as you know and i can jump back to the story in a minute but uh but we've created this safe space and it's like now now people feel comfortable taking taking their mask off because we're we're meeting them uh right where they are so so rather um, then then building, a, building a tower, building something that is centralized, which we expect people to, to come and also be vulnerable. We meet them in those spaces of liminality, those spaces of their brokenness, um, and, and we, we find them where they are. And so we're passionate um, about street outreach. We're passionate um, about discovery groups at the homeless shelter and, and different things that we do where we're able to find people at their lowest Um, And something about interacting, and and I like that word, inconveniencing their their lives and interrupting their regular rhythms. And as we step into that willingly, uh, the mask comes off. And with that, uh, the removal of the mask, it opens up a movement of the Holy Spirit um, that that we've just seen incredible things occur. But uh, but for a long time, to kind of back it down, is is I didn't, um, discipling is two ways, a two-way street. And, and I think that the failure, um, although a lot of it, I will own on myself in that uh, I wasn't super receptive. I didn't trust anybody. Um, and a part of me really didn't think that I had a problem that warranted the need to disciple. Uh, one of the things I, I tell my guys all the time is that the Holy Spirit can't do for you what you think you can do for yourself. Mm. Right. And so I was, I was convinced that I could do it on my own and that I didn't need help um, and, and so what that did is that that blocked and that limited the Holy Spirit's efficacy in my life because I thought that I could do it on my own. Um, so until a person allows that wall to crumble, um, it's the, the work of the Holy Spirit while well, it can stir and he can draw and he can he can call our names. But until we hit that point, you know, the first step of 12 is admitting we are powerless yeah. And that our lives have become unmanageable. And until we get to that moment um, after we've pleaded and we have pleaded like Paul in second Corinthians, when, when he's pleading for the thorn of the flesh, the messenger of the Satan, God, please just take it. Please just take it. I can't, can't do it anymore. And he shows up and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so I wasn't to that point yet when others were maybe trying to spend time with me. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.